Welcome to Fab Four Free For All. Are we done? We're done. Okay. Hey, we haven't done a show in a while. <laughs> Quiet on the set. And welcome to another edition of Fab Four Free For All, the weekly all-talk Beatles and related radio show on the internet. I am your moderator for today's show, Mitch Axelrod, and joining me, as they always do, unfortunately, are... Rob Leonard. Hello, how you doing? And Anthony Traguardo. Hi, friends. That's Traguardo. Thank just you. Just like saying it. I don't know why. It's, it just sounds good, no. like like an old Sesame Street or electric like company. Say it like a chant. Like yeah, well, see, that could have actually been at the end of Brainwashed. Traguardo. Anyway. And Danny would double it. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, right? Anyway. Uh, nobody likes my last name except they call me Axel Rose. So, but today we are going to talk about something we haven't talked about because um, we like to do some new stuff. And in 2011, a an album or a CD. Oh my lord! I just showed my age. A CD. Technically, it's still an album. I know it's a collection of songs. Collection of songs. And that's Rob's thing. Uh, a CD came out called "The Beatles with Tony Sheridan First Recordings." 50th anniversary edition and it came out on time life uh, records and it is a repackaging of material we've had for a long time probably since the early 60s some of it but we have not had well i shouldn't say we have not had we had a Bear Family release of these recordings a few years prior. Right. Those are very limited, very expensive. For those who yes. don't know, Bear Family is a German company that's very good at putting real compilations of... They did a great one on Carl Perkins. Uh, they did the, a great one on the Beatles and Tony Sheridan with official-sized and readable contracts and pictures and, and stuff we'll like get that. To we'll that. get to that in a minute. But they've done a really good job. Over yeah. the years. I like uh, the American Rhino or. Um, They're close to like a Rhino handmade. Yeah. Right? Now, really handmade custom now. stuff. Yeah. But we yeah. first heard some of these songs, such as My Bonnie, in the early, early 60s. Uh, they were actually released after the Beatles became famous again and they went up the charts. I think My Bonnie went to number 50 or so. Number 19, I believe. Oh, okay, great. Uh, because obviously anybody was clamoring, well, everybody was clamoring for anything. Beatle related at that point when they became famous and obviously these things were recorded in 61 and 62 and they put them out and they rose up the charts. So we've had different compilations of this stuff. But this CD, the 50th anniversary edition, is uh, a lot cheaper than the Bear Family one from prior. Uh, A lot smaller. We'll discuss it because as Rob said, readable contracts, there's a lot in the liner notes you want bigger which is the one drawback on this of a CD versus an album. Although it's gotten to the point where uh, I think in the generation we're in, in terms of getting access to things online, you could find very readable versions of all that stuff on the internet. You can, you know? but so, and you hate the problem is that, that while you're listening, you may be in a car or you, no, I shouldn't well, say in you, a car, trying to, you, yeah, you know, you're, you're not going to read. <laughs> But, I'm but gonna read be the a, liner notes when I'm driving. But you know what? You may be in a situation where you're in a, a you're 
living room listening and you don't have access to the of course, internet yeah, yeah, and you want to yeah. read it while you're that's the one thing i always or, said about, or if you're going to put it together you know why include it if you can't read it right and not to be funny but the people of our age i'm 50 i know you guys are a little bit younger but our age group when they're putting these things out, anything that says 50th anniversary edition right. means Should that, include large font. Yeah. <laughs> yeah All joking is, aside, not, and that's something right. that needs to yeah. be considered in the future because a lot of us are of the glasses type and... Well, of the large font age. Of the large yeah. font age. <laughs> wow. The LFA. Or, or should I say bifocals also? Yeah. Bifocals also. Yeah. But this uh, this actual CD is, is really good. The only problem is... There's only, what, seven or eight or nine songs total, and they've made a double CD of this. They've yeah, sort of... hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a little overkill here, but let's get into it. But uh, let me just start off by saying that the Tony Sheridan tracks that are on this are really important Beatle hi in Beatle history for many reasons. You know, don't forget, Tony Sheridan met the Beatles when he was playing the Top Ten Club yep. in Germany. Very early on, he enjoyed working with them. Um, and Tony Sheridan, for all of, you know, people think he was just an Elvis impersonator, but, and he, and he sort of was. He, he There's definitely, a couple of songs on here that are definite Elvis sound Well, he, well, hello, yeah. yeah, he really did uh, take all of his influence from American records. Right. So, obviously, Elvis was big at the time. Yeah, sure. But he was a smoking guitarist. And if he had any influence on the Beatles at all, it was really on a very young George Harrison right. who looked to him right. and he actually took George aside a lot and helped him master the guitar. So if anything, Tony Sheridan had a big influence on the Beatles because of the George Harrison connection. There's a lot going on there. And if you do listen to it, I mean, he's not a cheap Elvis impersonator. I mean, no. Some of it approaches camp. Slightly. I wouldn't call it camp, but, you know, just maybe a little listening too much to Elvis. But right. it's not bad. It's not bad. Definitely not. You know, Definitely not. There are a lot not. of bad Elvis impersonators in the 50s Very and true. early 60s. Very true. But he, I wouldn't put him there. No. No, not at all. But, and also, too, he, he's he got a really nice, some some of his inflections, some of his, the way he hits some of the lines. They're really great interpretations on some of the songs, the older songs. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe this. I read this on the internet and while doing the research for the show, and it said that by age 18, Tony was playing on British TV, being the first musician allowed to play electric guitar there, which I thought was really interesting. That's cool. You know, yeah, so I mean, yeah, he is cool. significant in his own way. Yeah. And if, if you ever see any interviews with him, he does remember everything. He, and it's yes. not like... Well, I read this somewhere else. He remembers. Right. He's very specific with his memory, and it, he hasn't lost it. Well, yeah, it, the clue is that you never had any Tony Sheridan goes psychedelic albums, right, which is right. probably why he still remembers <laughs> a lot. But one <laughs> thing about this whole era, it, it to me, it's a it's a fascinating part of the Beatles' history because there's not as much written about about him, partly because there wasn't a lot of documentation done. And right. This this is one of the few places where you got to hear maybe what they would sound like in the cavern or the Star Club or the Top Ten. That's true. This is when they were on fire as a live band. Yeah, yeah. And you you know you weren't talking overdubs and you weren't even really talking a lot of time, a lot of retakes, a lot of go in there, make this happen, and smoke out a couple of versions of some classic rock tunes and yeah. some you know. Now before we continue, you know, we joked off Mike about this, but. 
It's called The Beatles with Tony Sheridan, but it was never released. Well, I shouldn't say never released. It was released after The Beatles became famous as The Beatles. But when these songs were first done and released in Germany and other countries, it was Tony Sheridan and the Beat Brothers. Right. So does anybody want to tell why they were not known as The Beatles on these first recordings? Well, uh, the term Beatles sounds too close to Beatles, and in German, that's the word Beatles and penis are like the same. They are the same. Which is very funny because you made reference to the fact that John Lennon always used to say Beatle Beatles in the Xmas records. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Christmas records. Uh, yes, he does mention Beatle Beatles. So now we know he was calling us old dates. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that one got by George Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was the Beat Brothers. Only later did they say the Beatles to make the connection. Well, that was after they became famous, and you know, right. then it didn't matter. And so, right, but nobody knew the Beat Brothers were the Beatles, even back then. Well, unless you were the Beatles. But, well, I, yeah. I, I have to question this, though, because um, I've never seen an image, and I, I'm almost tempted to, while we're doing the show, sort of bring one up on the internet to look, but the 45 that... You know, there's the famous mythological story that the gentleman who went into the NEMS and asked for the copy of the 45, or what was written on that export 45 that went John to England? Sheridan, the By the way, his name and is... And the Beat Brothers? Yeah, yeah. and okay. his name was Make Ray sure. Jones. Raymond Jones. He Raymond went Jones, to right. NEMS on October 28th of 1961. 20th or 27th. Oh, whatever. It might it's, be. It's either one. It was it's on October 28th. Asking for uh, my Bonnie. Yeah. And Brian Epstein, Epstein, sorry. Stocked and sold a hundred copies. Then afterwards, signed the Beatles, and the rest is history. But you know, there's a bunch of different myths on the actual tracks. I think what there are five tracks that the Beatles did with Tony Sheridan. Uh, well, there's eight total, that, and that they're all on here. They're all in this first recordings. That's right. That's one of the good things about this release. It's the first time in the, in the Bear Family release, which is the same as this, where they just focus on the ones the Beatles played on. Right, right. The ones that they didn't play on, which they used to fill out albums over all these years, they all disappeared, which is probably the right thing. I would say. Yeah, you know, just to confuse talk about, people I was less. just going to say, right, talk about confusing history. Yeah, and yeah, so that's one of the nice things about this, this set is, is that they only focus on that. Now, there are variations. There's stuff that doesn't sound like the background. It doesn't sound like the Beatles at all, but I assume they are since... They, they have the, the notes. But there's also bits and pieces. There's a mono disc and a stereo disc. Right. The early stuff was all released in mono, I'm sure. They didn't have, care about stereo. But then there's some stuff where there were some overdubs. You know, and this is where Bernard Purdy comes in. For those, who yeah, don't know. we'll get to that. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. yeah, we should. Yeah, once, once we get to not yeah. individual tracks, okay, but, yeah. But that that is a, a good point, Rob, because uh, Bernard Purdy himself has said in interviews that he went into the studio and did stuff he overdubbed for Ringo well, he, stuff. What he said... In, his memory's not so good. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like the Ruddles. I did, I did! <laughs> well, exactly, that's what, what that whole thing's said. based on, yeah. He, he always said that he never went to England to record anything. That the tapes were brought to yeah. New York City, yeah, which, he went to New York City yeah. and did the overdubs. Which always made one a little bit suspect about his theory that, yeah, she loves you, yeah, I played yeah. on that, yeah, 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 I want to hold you now, hand, yeah, I played on that. The, yeah, the yeah, songs yeah. he are, is talking about are some of the tracks on here, not all some of them. Some of them, yeah. Because he only overdubs certain songs. 
And you can't really notice the difference, at least to my now, knowledge. Now, we should add that... You the, would know better. You're a drummer. We should add that Thank these overdubs were done in 1964. Right. These were not overdubs that were done at the time. At the right. time, these tracks were released. They were released to promote Tony Sheridan as an artist With in, Pete in Best Germany. on drums. With Pete Best on drums. The ones that we're talking about that came over to England that were sold to NEMS, these are the original recordings that were coming over as the Beatles were starting to advance in, you know, in England and starting to become the, the darlings of Liverpool. But by the time they hit really huge in the U.S., everyone was clamoring for all things Beatle here, as, as Mitch had mentioned, and they were starting to do the overdubs and trying to bring that stuff out because any way you could clean out the Beatles' closet and get everything out... Make your money. Make your money now. Make it fast, because who knows how long this thing is going to go. Well, also, one more thing about Bernard Purdy. Uh, he was on the Sgt. Pepper movie soundtrack. So right. he might be thinking, those are the Beatles tracks. I don't know. Yeah, we I'm don't know saying, what he's thinking. I just know he but... was on that also. And George Martin was the producer on that, so maybe he's confusing those things. I also so, think... That's just something else. I, mean, I think it's very odd... And I don't know if this goes against Pete Best's drumming, and I'm not trying to insinuate that he was bad. Sure. But how funny is it that they felt they needed to overdub Pete Best's drumming? I mean, maybe the Beatles were on to something. Well, it's also funny because there's this, the record industry, and this is me getting a little, I'm going to rant on the record industry, but the record industry always believes that Anything that's a few years old has to be modernized if you're going to go back and do a yeah. re-release. I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, even Billy Joel's first album was recorded in 1971. And when they finally released it on CD, Cold Spring Harbor in 1980-something, they felt that they had to have Liberty DeVita go in and redub the drum tracks and modernize and make it, quote, more punchy. Yeah. It's just a thing where, like... That old-fashioned drum sound. I'm not really sure why a guitar never becomes an old-fashioned guitar sound, but why does a drum sound become an old-fashioned Be drum because sound? Because I was thinking of 1985 or 86, when the Monkees came back and they were hot, and Arista re-released Daydream, Daydream Believer, Believer with that bad drum track. Yes. Yeah. And the reason was, yeah. was because what was the big type of drum track? Phil Collins. And if yeah, you right. listen to the end of Daydream Believer, it goes... But when the remix comes on, it's like, and that was Phil Collins. And, yeah. and that type of drum style took over the, the record business point. for a couple of years. And I think right. that's probably what they mm -hmm. thought back in 1964. But you're right. Why don't they ever fix the guitars? Yeah, it's really strange. Then you're re-recording everything. And you're right. But that's why I'm saying it's just really funny that... It, because you can't take out the drum tracks. All of it was recorded in the same room. Right. It, right. Most of the time, I bounced tape. down to whatever, so yeah, yeah, it so was, was stuck. It was on one track. It was a two-track tape. The other track was for the vocals, and the rest of it was for the pan. So, yeah. And personally, I don't think Pete Best sounds that bad on this. I think he there's really some... doesn't. He's totally fine. He's holding down a backbeat. There's nothing really that. No, I thought know. I thought he was pretty good actually. Yeah. It's you, funny I, though because yeah. when you go to Love Me Do on the anthology, then you notice. Well, that's that's what I was thinking. I was when I was listening back to this when we were going to do the show. I said, okay, let me listen to this. First of all, I realized that this is what they sound like in the clubs. Second of all, they're very tight. And They're is all this material tight. from very Tony tight. Sheridan's thing, or did the, was this all part of the Beatles? Some of these tracks were part of the Beatles. Well, yeah, repertoire, the repertoire. Yeah. Uh, not every bit of it was. And then I thought of the Decca tapes, which obviously don't sound like this. No. And then the, even the stuff for the first bit for EMI, where Love Me Do sounds. Well, they were asleep through the Decca tapes. Yeah. Really, for the most part. Here, 
you know, they're keyed up. They're, yeah, and I guess maybe it is the difference, too, that they're going into a recording studio maybe with the knowledge in the back of their Which mind. Which was a school, that, by the way. Yeah, but, but they're going in knowing that they're making a record right. as opposed to DECA where it's the nerves that well, we're going I, in and our future depends on. Well, I have, we a, I have a theory on that, too. You Not know. a theory, but they're going in knowing they're the backing group. No pressure there. Yeah, that's true. But now, true. as you're the Beatles, and like you said, your future depends on it, then the pressure's there. That's where the nerves come And in. it's also probably the difference, too, between the idea of Pete Best playing on oldies mm. or really playing on... Originals. He, that he already like, knew Like I've originals. always said with George Harrison, he yeah. was so comfortable playing lead on covers yeah, because they were already established songs. And not as comfortable playing a, a solo on a Lennon-McCartney original. Because on, on everything, you know, starting from Love Me Do, Pete Best was going to have to create... Create right. a drum track. Drum parts. Yeah. Not as just copy. As opposed to things like this, where even if it's not copying, it, it's also just kind of like, you already know the feel. You yeah. already know what Tony Sheridan's bop version of The Saints are going to sound like. Or yeah, whatever, or My you, Bonnie. You know, or My I mean, Bonnie, you're or going whatever. going to know that. You're going to know that, as opposed to, all right, well, this song's called Please Please Me. Do something with it. Right. Mm, you have to start what? from scratch. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, so. a, it's, it's really akin to making cookies. If you're going to go to the store and buy the, the, the roll yeah. and just put it in your oven, well, then it's fine. That's like the oldies. Yeah. But if you're going to have to actually take the eggs and water and dough and, and make it from scratch, that's the love me do. Right. So, right. But we should talk a little bit about how the Beatles actually got to have this contract with Tony. Back in 61, rumor has it, because there are different versions of this, Polydor A&R man Burt Camfort went in and saw the Beatles. And at we the should say end, the guy who co-wrote Strangers in the Night. You know. Yes. <laughs> so just, just yeah. you know, he was a pretty well-known Yes, writer, he wasn't producer. right. He wasn't just some schmo in the club. You know? So he went in, saw the Beatles in the top ten club, and actually signed them to back Tony Sheridan. But there's a lot of rumor about what was recorded, because John Lennon told Hunter Davies that there were at least three other tracks that the Beatles recorded in that session without Tony Sheridan, rumored to be rock and roll music, Kansas City, and some other guy. And that's But we haven't... We haven't heard them. And probably never will. And probably never will. Lo and, that, and Pete Bess has mentioned uh, some other guy in, in uh, Kansas City. So Yeah. So there is some truth to that. I would love to have heard those. Because yeah. that doesn't have Tony Sheridan on it. Right. But it probably would have sounded a lot like Star Club stuff. Yeah, but it would have been recorded perfectly. It would have been recorded perfectly, yeah. right. You know, Jesus. So, yeah, I know. Historically, Paul yeah. will buy them up somewhere. No, actually, the, there was a fire. Uh, Burt Camford had a fire in his studio. And a, a lot of the tapes were, gone. were in there that they probably had marked. Was, remember, it was 1961. And no one the, the Beatles. Beatles. Who, who cares? They were the backing band to Tony Sheridan, and Tony Sheridan never made it. So, And also, it probably was labeled Beat Brothers and that might at have that been. point. And no again, one no that. one even knew them. I mean, the Beatles were pretty well known around Germany at that point as the Beatles. Right, but if you went looking in and you're not thinking Beatles... And yeah, you're thinking Beat Brothers. It could yeah. be any ripoff yeah. of the Beatles and it turned I, out to be I the Beatles. I have to wonder, in hindsight, whether or not, considering that the Beatles, as the word Beatles, were already a success in the Hamburg area, I have to wonder whether or not they actually potentially deprived themselves of some sales of the record by using Beat Brothers on the record because the Beatles had their own fan base. 
Sure. As the Beatles. I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, the, the Beatles went around saying, that's us. We're the Beat Brothers on this. We're the Beat Brothers. Right. Uh, yeah. Bob Wooler knew, knew the DJ at the Cavern Club. He knew. Yes. Sure. So they told him. So they, I'm sure, had copies. But it's very well, tough. But, but that's a know. good point, because they did have a real following in Germany. Yeah. I mean, were they up there on the, on the top 10 club stage? Doing the, you know, hey, and if you like what you hear up here, go yeah. to the store and buy our new yeah. record. Yeah, with Tony I mean, Sheridan and the Peanut. They, they're, <laughs> nice. But I mean, <laughs> that's funny. Were they doing that? Probably not. I'd want to say no. I would assume that maybe you know? from stage. I can see Paul saying, buy our record. Yeah, maybe. I can oh, see I could that. easily yeah. see you that. Know what? But you know what? I actually see John doing it more than... than hey, with the toilet over his head. Yeah. Krauts, uh, lousy Krauts. Get our record. Yeah. 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 Hitler. With yeah. the toilet over his with head. With the toilet on his head. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Uh, Go out there and spend yeah, your Deutsch marks. Yeah, this, yeah. this, this, this like it's crap. <laughs> you know, with the toilet over his head. Um, no, but you know what? It would be interesting to hear. I would... Love to have been a fly on the wall in, in that part of the Beatles' career, knowing what we do now. Yeah, of course. Uh, because we'd have some hell of a shows if I could do that. <laughs> yeah, really. The time machine. Oh, here Doc we go. Hi, back. everyone. For this episode, Mitch is back with the time machine. Yeah, he was in the way back machine. He, he was in on the Sergeant Pepper sessions, and I had to go, Mitch. I went uh, pretty well, Mike uh, Nesmith was uh, <laughs> No, but I got really stoned. I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, I, don't um, remember I was told thing. I had a good time. <laughs> Thank you, Mickey Dillon. Right. No, but uh, they walked should... me on the roof. Nice. <laughs> 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 Nice. Just because I'm sure. I met my new friend, John. He walked me <laughs> on the, we on the roof. Flying. Flying. Um, see episode from before. On that note, we are going to take a little break and come back and actually talk about some of the tracks on the CD. The Beatles with Tony Sheridan. First recordings, 50th anniversary edition. Time Life. On time, I was going to say that. What do you have the operator thing on? Hi, I'm Susie from Time Life. What would you like? (laughs) I'd like the 80s. No, Uh, I would not like the 80s. But by the way, we will be back in just a moment to talk about some of the tracks. Hi, everyone. For this holiday season, the guys at Fab Four Free For All will have a special gift for two of our loyal listeners, courtesy of a secret Santa. We are making available two copies of the very limited Paul McCartney Christmas single featuring the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, backed with Wonderful Christmas Time Remastered. Now, the single is limited to 2,000 copies, but two of our loyal listeners will be getting copies courtesy of Fab Four Free For All. All you need to do is visit our website, go to the Contact Us page, and answer a question based on our current episode about the Tony Sheridan recordings. Just let us know what recordings the guys refer to as making no musical sense are unpleasant to listen to and are not collectible in the Beatle world. Listen to the episode and leave your answer on the Contact Us page along with your name and email address and two lucky listeners will be chosen at random to receive their copies of the limited edition McCartney single, the drawing to be held at the end of December. So, thank you for being a loyal listener to Fab Four Free For All, and have a great holiday. Hi, everyone. Just wanted to let you know that besides Fab Four Free For All, each of the three of us are involved in our own individual projects. Mitch Axelrod's two books, Beetle Tunes, the only book about the cartoon Beatles show, and Little Billy and Baseball Bob, can be found through all of your good booksellers online, including Amazon.com, or if you'd like autographed copies, Contact Mitch on Facebook. And my buddy Rob Leonard has a great Beatles show that he's been doing for 20 years called Beatles Songs. 
and it's on every Friday night from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can listen to it online. It's streaming at www.ncc.edu slash WHPC. And also look for it on TuneIn.com. And Tony Truquardo is the host of 4F, free format for free, on WCWP 88.1 on Long Island. He's on every Monday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and also at www.wcwp.org. Also available on TuneIn.com. And we are back, and better than ever, talking about The Beatles with Tony Sheridan, first recordings, 50th anniversary edition. My breath takes away after so much wording. Uh, On Time Life. Uh, You should definitely seek this out because it is historical and hysterical. And also it's the most comprehensive of all these releases that you'll ever find in one, uh, one collection. Yes. I will say one thing. We, well, we've said many things. But Rob made reference, and we talked about this a little in the first half, but... Uh, you know, again, the, talking about the liner notes in here, let's do that a little bit. There's some great pictures. If you have the earlier incarnations of this, and I'm not talking about the Bear family one. Right. Prior to the Bear family, there wasn't a lot of uh, material found or tried to be found. I don't right. know what happened. But nothing was as extensive as Bear Family and this. So when you look at the booklet for this, you're going to get a lot of great pictures. Stu Sutcliffe, uh, a lot of the demos and acetates of my Bonnie and the Saints. And you get the pictures of the release versions, but you get a lot of cool pictures. Uh, my favorite is the one, the four of them, well, it looks like they're holding batteries. Yeah. And um, it's, it's Pete, John, Paul, and George. And the funny thing is, Pete covers his own face. Yeah. <laughs> it's so odd. And John and George and Paul are all mugging for the camera. And yeah. maybe that was part of the problem. You know, they always said Pete didn't fit in, so to speak. Mm. And if you look at him, you can tell he's smiling, but he puts his own hand right. over his face. And so it, it's like, it, if he held it a little bit lower, he, it, it wouldn't have covered anything. It just And he does. He is smiling. You can tell. You can tell he's smiling. So yeah. it's a weird dynamic there. So the booklet is small. And the, the complaint I have about the booklet, and I know we talked about it before, is that there are contracts in here which are really good. And I know Tony said you could find them on the Internet, and you can. But if you look in this booklet and you're trying to read these, you cannot. No, you can't. Even right. with a magnifying glass, you cannot. Right. I mean, there's six pages of a contract on one CD booklet page. So if you can imagine how small that is, you know, there was, there was German. So well, yeah, that's the other reason you can't read it unless you're in our German audience. Right. Which is interesting because when you think about it, you know, the contract being in German, did the Beatles have someone over there who was assisting them in that way? Were they relying on Paul's meh? German to but get don't forget them through. They still had Astrid and yeah, but they're not lawyers. I guess. No, right. no, 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 not lawyers, but someone to Astrid guide them. and yeah. Klaus could at least guide them on what it said. Yeah, maybe. I mean, in German, it could have said, "You will, you know, sleep on on well, dirt and and make five Deutschmarks, you know, and then right, and you will record five albums for us for the rest of your lives and per you'll week, owe and, us you your know, life." The, you yeah. know, well, it's yeah. kind of interesting. The, the Beatles were signed to Bert Kanter Productions, who had a deal with Polydor. Mm-hmm. And it was a one-year deal, but it was it was actually supposed to be a Tony Sheridan deal, 
Right, but the first. Beatles were signed as part of it, and technically were really, you know, when we hear about the story of you know, Brian Epstein going to Decca and, and all the different labels, technically the Beatles were signed to Camford. And it's almost like they're going really around Camford, not really telling him, and being in Germany or wherever he was, and sort of then he had to get him to let him release him, which yeah. he did, but he said, just give me one more recording session. He could have really held his uh, Brian Epstein's feet to the fire and said, hey, give me a cut. He could have done a lot of different things. Now, mind you, the Beatles weren't the Beatles yet, but how many bands get that contract, you know, where they have to sign away their life just because they That's want to true. get That's true, and how many, how many crummy producers right, right. would have said, hey, regardless of whether or not I know they're going to be anything, I may as well exercise the fact that I have a signature and get a guarantee that I'm right. going to get something if they do make it. Right, there's a lot of managers out there, and we've heard some of their names over the years, who... Will sign anyone. Yeah, and, and even if they don't make any money, them they're still signed to them. Absolutely. And, and if yeah, all of a sudden committed. something happens, then they come and say, "Please pay me off." Yeah. Camper didn't do that. Yeah. But it's also ironic that these songs, a lot of them, ended up on Decca. Yes, that's yeah. Just, it, yeah that's that kind weird? of weird. Well, I mean, not weird, but over here, we got most of them on MGM. Well, MGM somehow picked up on these tracks. And Atco, too. And Atco. Yeah. You know, we had the Atco Decca, single. Atco. Yeah. And MGM. And MGM. Right. But MGM Album. got it. And singles. But MGM got it in 64 when it was, you know. When the Beatles were big. When the Beatles were so big. So they made well, the most out of it. Well, Atco, but what's too, interesting, Because HG Sweet was released on Atco. But, right. But what's interesting, which I find kind of weird, is that, and I, I think this is accurate, I've seen in two different spots, that the Beatles with Tony Sheridan and Guests, which was the the famous MGM, yes. the green cover, which they album. filled out with others. Uh, they right. filled out with um, songs by Dick Hickson and uh, the Titans. The Titans, yeah. So, you know, you had you know Darktown Strutters Ball added to <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, what or Rye Beat by the but Titans. But these came out on February third, nineteen sixty four. Yeah. So these came out right before all hell broke loose. Right. Well, all hell I mean, right was sort of it was hadn't arrived yet, but the that month of January was a huge sales month for well, that's right, Capital. Yeah. So I mean, they timed it perfectly. Yeah. But these were um, these were fake duophonic mixes that are not included anywhere on this box. Right. right. The box includes the mono, the true stereo. Also, if anyone's familiar with Cry for a Shadow, which is one of my favorite all time. And significant because Harrison right. Lennon composition. The Absolutely. Only. Uh, the version on Anthology, I don't know whether or not they did it intentionally, but the, the uh, channels are reversed compared to all other released versions. I believe so. So, you know, if you, you're only familiar with this material from the Anthology and then you hear this on this, you're going to go, what's wrong with this? It's not. It's actually what you're hearing on the Time Life release is actually the true original version. Somehow on Anthology, they cross the channels. But... A lot of the 64 and 66 releases, they did not have access to any of the real stereo tapes or the multi-tracks. Everything was mono, and they created duophonic right. yeah. versions out of that. 
which so, for those who don't know, you want to explain because duophonics really like oof. duophonic or binaural or whatever you want to call it. Because uh, other Beatles songs were done that way too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, throughout and the, the years, the Beach Boys in Capitol, had a whole bunch of stuff. The yeah. Beach Boys had much stuff which they've tried to correct with these controversial 2012 reissues of the catalog by the Beach Boys. But generally, what the practice breaking it down was you you separated the music into you you brought the treble onto one one channel and the bass into the other. And what you ended up with was some sort of idea that you were spreading the music across the stereo spectrum, but you were doing it in such a way that it makes absolutely no musical sense. And, and it should be noticed that on the collector's circle, for those type of records, they don't barely sell. You know, the duophonics, yeah. because it's so phony. Yeah, it's so phony, and, and, and it's so unpleasant yeah. to listen to after a while. But, I mean, again, as Beatle people, we buy it because... Oh, yeah, completely. Well, they, didn't have, yeah. they only had a few songs that were duophonic, the... You know, the Beatles, yeah. yeah they didn't, yeah. it wasn't like the Beach Boys were. It's like Beatles 65, I think, is the yeah. main source of the duophonic, and maybe something on Beatles 6 that there's like a duophonic version of, but other than that... Created in America. Created here in America. Yeah. Right, they didn't do it in England. They were too smart in England. But over, let me tell you something, the booklet itself is very informative. Right. It does give you sessions, because the Beatles actually recorded with Tony Sheridan twice. Right. In 61 and 62. Right. And in 62, supposedly, there were actually a couple of songs that were lost forever, Skinny Minnie and Swanee River, both of which came out by Tony Sheridan without the Beatles. Right. The They were the actual, if you really want to think of the real Beat Brothers, the, the phony Beatles were actually right, the, right. the real Beat Brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which for years, actually, here in America, you could get different compilations where they did differentiate. Right. And the songs that were the Beatles said by Tony Sheridan and the Beatles. Yes. The songs that were by the other groups that came into back him right. were Tony Sheridan. So not, and the not on all of them, most on some of them. Right. But, right. but the two unreleased songs that John Lennon remembered to Hunter right. Davies, there were supposedly Beatles backed versions yeah. of those songs. Yeah. Yeah. But they're lost forever. Right. I'm if anybody noticing, who finds them in a garage sale, well, like I said, with those, you never know. Yeah. I'm just noticing that a few of the reissue albums, it's interesting. Well, one on Metro Records, which is a division of MGM, actually has it broken down. They have the Beatles and oh, Tony Sheridan, okay. then Tony Sheridan, then the, the Titans, which I'm very surprised they actually, in 66, were that straightforward. Well, to be honest with you, to, maybe they were told. You know, at that point, since the Beatles were... That's true. They, could they might have been said, you cannot yeah. insinuate that the Beatles are on this by tracks. using Beat Brothers or whatever, because now we have a commodity that's selling, and we want to keep that. Yeah. My, my thing about th these records, they've been re-released for years. I mean, the, every three or four years, it seems that... Well, other than the MGM, the first full album was in May of 70 on Polydor. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, we have had, like you said... So many packagings yeah. of this. And that's the very familiar one with the cover of Mersey Beat. Top pole. Uh, yeah, tied top in pole, a... Mersey Beat, top pole. And that actually and... has some decent pictures. It has pictures of the Beatles in that time of 61. Yeah. Even yeah. though there's... I believe there's... it's a gatefold album. Yeah, it's a gatefold. It is a gatefold. It's got the, the bundle of newspapers on the cover. With a great picture, yeah. a great, great fro a quote from George on the inside about how they played in Hamburg. And that, at that time, they were, they were really on Correct me if I'm it. wrong, but... That was a an import or a, a Polydor 
worldwide release. That was a, I remember getting it in 1970. I just didn't. That was I don't a, remember a, the logistics. I, you know, I never really. It came out in May of seventy. Uh, May of seventy. But I didn't know well, it, if it was a, it, it, a. There are two import. different covers. I mean, there's a there's like what is obviously a U.S. cardboard cover. That's the top pole. Right. All right. So that's that's the domestic U.S. There's a, yeah. There's a U.S. Of version the US. of of the Polydor release. Yeah. Right. But we had other versions of that album. Right. And actually, going to the the CD era. The Polydor stuff, you know, whatever you want, the Tony Sharner stuff, was technically the first thing to come out on CD of the Beatles. Correct. There was the... Wow, that's right. The Japanese... That's right. Uh, ...album, the CD of Abbey Road, which was taken from yeah, a bandmaster. And then this record came out with the 14 songs. That was the first time ever they had the listing of the dates. That's true. And let's not forget, too, that Savage Records was a company that signed Pete Best in 1966 and put out... Best of the Beatles, right, right, uh, with featuring Pete, a little deceptive maybe, and then also released this is the Savage Young Beatles, which featured again the Hamburg tracks, and then we also you have know. Very Together, the Very Canadian Together album. came out in nineteen sixty nine in Canada. This this <laughs> material and it was really cashing in on the Paul is Dead rumor. It right. had, the cover had four candles on it, <laughs> and one had been snuffed out. I mean, honestly, that was it, Pete Best, but but everybody thought nice. it was. Very I thought nice. it was like a menorah that it was like you know waiting for the eighth day. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the non-Jewish. <laughs> no, he's right though. I always thought it looked like a menorah. It does look like a menorah. But, <laughs> but you know, they always said it cashed in on the Paul is dead. But really, yeah. the snuffed-out Beetle was Pete Best. Yeah, that's very funny. I mean, so it Never really wasn't what they but, thought. But I'm always shocked though that the Beatles either through Apple or Brian Epstein, never went and... After this. Thing. After this stuff right. came out in 64 and things calmed down and said, hey, wh what do you want for those tapes? We want to buy them from you. And and we'll give you more than maybe you think. Because right. not that these are embarrassing to the Beatles, but the Beatles... But historically... Historically, they I think they're great. They're very important. But the Beatles were dismissing it in 1962. In interviews in 1962, they were already dismissing these tapes. Well, because they were the backing band. Right. Yeah. And they weren't yeah. the lead. That's why. Yeah. It's interesting the fact that I think the record labels, I mean, it's bounced around from so many different record labels. Is this going to be the definitive statement? Because the catch with this is that the tracks repeat, obviously. Right. A lot. It's an attempt by Time Life, and I mean, Bear Family originally, obviously, did the compilation, really, to get everything under one roof. Bear Family does their reputation, like, as we were saying, Rhino Handmade, is to make definitive statements. This is everything. You're never going to need anything else. These are all the takes. These are all the tracks. This is all you'd ever want on this topic. That's always their goal. When you see the box sets, you'll notice that Carl Perkins, if they have takes 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 8, and 12, they're all right there in a row. So I have to wonder if this is it. I mean, I'm looking and seeing that the Polydor 1970 album, which, by the way, technically was called In the Beginning Circa 1960, was the first time that they were released in stereo. So each of these major reissues of this material that we were referencing, they did something a little more The only with thing it. that could possibly, in my eyes, be different about a future release... Is if they find the missing track. Is if Paul comes out and says, I have Swanee River. You know, yeah. and, and then 
you know, they put it on Anthology 4. And, and if Paul comes out and says, you know, hey, uh, I've got Skinny Mini, and we say, look, Paul, nothing about the pedal jokes anymore. Just talk about what's, 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 what do you need? But you could, you know what, though? I know for a fact Paul has a lot of stuff in his library. Well, Paul, yes. Paul's, yeah. And the, he's hoarded it. The biggest Beatle collector is Paul McCartney. Right. Yeah. And I know he's got tracks that w and full concerts that he hasn't released. Well, I'll, I'll give one, and we're just going to go off topic. Yeah. He was one in 1985. There was a an auction of a show from the Cavern, and the right. person who bought it was Paul McCartney. Right, and that's actually the show I'm talking right, about. Right, I referenced because you know Paul bought the original acetate for In Spite of All the Danger. Right, and without Paul collecting that, we don't know if we'd ever would have gotten it. I he, know it was in the hands of uh, right from the Quarrymen. Yeah, and he basically said, "Well." I think there was he was thinking of selling it, and Paulson, I'll give you a... a yeah, result. it was extortion. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, he got, hey a nice, he, he got a nice payment. Duffalo said I got paid very well for that. Yes, and and historically, that's so significant, obviously. Yeah. But again, I know they're backing on this, but this material is historic. Right. And, and can I oh, definitely. I'm not saying it's not. No, I understand. Can I toss something out while we talk about history no. and revisionist history? Why is the ATCO redo... Of Ain't She Sweet, the one that's used on the anthology. Was that a mess up? I was think, somebody not paying attention? I think or was they that, weren't well, sure where the, what tapes were available or what was what. I think, you know, think about it. We're talking about 17 years ago when they started to go through it. And who was going to be the research and archivist going to say, again, like you said, with all the different labels putting this stuff out, who has the definitive ancient right, suite? Right. Who has the definitive any of matter the definitive, but it's... Who had the, who has the definitive proper like, shadow? I mean, that was a Beatles... Who had the master who had the But you're not the following, master. though. I mean, the point is, it's not the idea of... Well, you are following, but where I'm saying is... Thank you. It's, no, 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 but where I'm going is... I'm not talking about the idea that it's slightly inferior quality, or no, who's got the dub tape, or who's right. got the... You know, in this instance, you're talking about... It was re-recorded. There were overdubs done to it. It was screwed with. Right. You know... How the I, hell did they let that one make that it on the with copy? Yes, yeah. okay, use right, the right, ATCO right. version. I, of think, I think what happened was I don't think they knew which one was which, and I'm you not really sure. Think so? you, I, you, I, I agree. I, th I think you know how many different labels, not just in America but overseas. I don't. I think they traced it down the way they would have. Think about all the EMI tapes. They're all in one room. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. They didn't have to search far for That's true. That's and, a really know, Here they have point. to do some work. Not to say they were lazy, but there was a lot of things to go through. And I think they said, okay, we got this. And maybe they called up Polydor and they said, or, and they said what do you got? And they, that was what they were sent. Or whoever yeah, owns the master. Yeah, that's true. The why Apple at that point didn't buy it out. That's another question uh, that I still But don't. what are they buying? Because you know what? If they bought one version, then there could, still could be three or four versions yeah, out but they there. Yeah, but they would own all the other versions. They would just eventually get the tape sent back to them. And also, if you think about Anthology 1, there was only the two songs. Or three songs from uh, from the sessions. Three out of the eight songs. My One, Bonnie. My Bonnie. Bonnie and she's sweet, sweet. And Cry, Cry for a Shadow. Shadow. Well, Cry for Shadow, obviously. And My Bonnie got uh, overlapped with a, a quote from, who was it, John or Paul? I That's think. right. So you That's missed, right. missed the over. over. So, so, so really, all three of these... Early period songs were messed with in one way yeah. or another. Yeah. Maybe because the Beatles just didn't think it was significant enough because they were the backing group. No, but still. But, but really, they weren't the backing my group. My Bonnie on, sounds, on the, is a great backing track, man. Phenomenal. That, they, were, they were smoking on that track. Yeah. Yes, but Ain't She Sweet is John on lead. Yeah, but. And Cry for Shadow is that Beatles, right. is all Beatles. Right. And, that, and those are the two you want, but I would have had one more back. I would have had probably 
take, take out some, insurance. Yeah, take out some insurance. Because that's you, a good you song. Love, and the, if and you if love you, me, baby, take some insurance out me, baby, yeah, depending on the title. Right, depending they have on, both their, on here. Right, because I think Atco put it out yeah, as one. one yeah. <laughs> take out insurance on me, baby, with, and the, with the, the parentheses. But no, here's the thing, though. If you listen to these tracks, and we'll get to them, we should right away. The Beatles, while doing their three-part harmony on a lot of it, and also just their singing and playing, they're enjoying themselves. They're screaming in the back. So I think it's significantly significant for that reason. They're just having fun, even as the backing. And, and it, Absolutely. And if you think about future recordings, when they have that same type of fun, you know, the screaming in the background, you know, John's, you know, some of his classic screams before guitar solos or Paul's, it, it, it starts here, really. They, yeah. were, they were probably doing it on stage, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, we just haven't heard it. But I think also the, the other side of the coin is they, they obviously feel comfortable with Tony Sheridan to do this because technically it's his sessions. Yeah. And, he, yeah. They're, they're, and he's playing along on some of the tracks, too. And it also so. has to be the kind of thing where Tony Sheridan himself probably felt comfortable enough yeah. to say, well, they had, these guys are a smoking live band. Let's just let's cut this well, stuff he's live. Let them rip to it. be his backing yeah. band. So. Yeah. Let that, well, it. again, they had met several, several times right. while they were in Germany. Not only, you know, the top yeah. ten, but I mean, yeah. they... They cross paths a lot, and because Tony played with a lot of different groups, right. and as a matter of fact, Ringo almost played on the record. He was supposed to back Tony Sheridan. I'm not sure if it would have been with the Beatles, but he was supposed to actually be a drummer. He was away from Rory Storm for a while, and the rumor had it that Ringo didn't like Tony doing a lot of stuff on stage that the rest of the band didn't do right. or didn't know or didn't know they were going to do. So Ringo got ticked off and didn't show up at, or didn't go to this session, whether it was the one with the Beatles or not. So right. the, at one point, Ringo was also supposed to be uh, playing with Tony Sheridan. Right. So that means all four Beatles, as we know the Beatles, uh, other than Pete, played. would have played and felt comfortable with. So right. Tony must have been something special he, in Germany. Well, he was a little bit older. He was probably the one that... Well, actually, he was just the same age as John and Ringo. Really? He, he seems older. <laughs> no, he does, but he... He was there first, too. He was one of the but first Tony, guys Tony was there. born in 1940. Okay, well, he would be the same age, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Just to, I mean, go back to some of the stuff, specifically with the release. You know, they make reference on the back of the disc, too, to a few things being U.S. versions. Right. Yeah. And some of those are, are actually edits, because... Tony swears and says, take out some goddamn insurance yeah, on right, me baby at the a, end. Yeah. And it's actually, even the title issue, it's If You Love Me Baby and a lot of the original things, take out some insurance on me baby in some versions. They are the same song. Because I remember when I was a kid, I'd see both versions and i go, and, oh my God. Well, there were a lot of bootlegs songs. too. A ton of bootlegs. It got them right or wrong. But they cut Nobody's Child and they cut Take Out Some Insurance on Me Baby on the Atco versions of right, those, so. those early tunes. And those are going to be also probably, if I'm not mistaken, the Bernard Purdy takes also yeah. because it's going to be with. Well, he you know, did overdubs on the Atco stuff. Yes, he overdubbed so. the Atco stuff uh, in '64. Four, yeah. yeah. So, so, so that's for those who've, who've ever heard Bernard Purdy talk about. That's most he didn't likely do Beatles songs. Right. He did. He did right. these Tony songs. Sheridan yeah. Beatles songs. And it's it's also interesting that when they put out the single of Nobody's Child in Germany. Who knows how or why, but they actually put out like a Tony Sheridan or a Beat Brothers version of the single in early 64, the one without the Beatles on it. It was released as a single. Yeah. And then they put out the 
you know, in America, when they put out Nobody's Child as a single, they used the Beatles version, right. obviously. And of course, the Traveling Wilburys <laughs> did a flip cover. Side of, flip side of Ancient Sweet, by the did way. Did a cover of Nobody's Child. They yes, for the Romanian up a more for Child the, Appeal. Yeah, right, for the Angel Appeal album. Romanian, Romanian Angel Appeal, I believe. So they did a very nice version. They, very they, nice. They tightened it up a little bit. Well, know, I was so hoping that we would hear... Um, Buddies, that which is what Tony Sheridan yeah. does. I mean, he holds the O for about what thirty seconds. He holds, it seems a, like. he holds it much longer than yeah. Then Wilbur is much Wilbur more is. straight ahead. Yeah, much more. But also more poppy at the same time, and and countryish. The Wilburys. Yeah, the Wilburys. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, the Wilburys actually put it out on the album version, the Romanian yes, Angel yes, Appeal yes, album. Yes, yes. Which was for charity mm -hmm. for that. Which had that. Uh, does that appear as a bonus track on the Traveling I'd have Wilburys to check, but I think collection? it does. Yes, it does. It, it definitely does. does it's yeah. on uh, the... The limited edition box. It's on the... And the album. Yeah, it's on the bonus tracks. Yes. Right. Okay. So, cool. Uh, um, Seek that out, One of the friends. four bonus tracks that they gave. Now, we're not going to talk about individual tracks, because we are going to list them. There's Ain't She Sweet, and I'm not going to say U.S., or Ain't right. She Sweet, My Bonnie, The Saints, when the Saints go marching in, Cry for a Shadow, why? No. Why? <laughs> if you love the baby, take his insurance on. We talked about that. Uh, Nobody's Child, Sweet Georgia Brown. Now, right. basically, that's it. That's it. And on these discs, you get 34 songs from the eight. So there's the U.S. version, the medley versions, which we'll discuss, uh, the overdub version. Now, we should say that Sweet Georgia Brown was done again in 1964, recut, same backing track, mm -hmm. but Tony Sheridan went in and Oof. did new lyrics, very hokey, and he actually brings in the Beatles and their fame and fan club, and mm. it's almost like mocking, but... Uh, it is, it's a, a novelty record. It's, it is, it's, it's a novelty record. It's a novelty record. It's like, it's, uh, what is it, I want to get a Beatle for Christmas? I mean, it's all... The, it's thing was, yeah. the rest of the album is pretty serious on Tony's part, so for him to do that... I know I'm sure they said, well... That's a cash-in. It was a oh, cash-in. Oh, ka Yeah, you could say, come on, Tony, you made me make some money. Oh, oh That was okay, a total yeah, ka-ching. Okay. Yeah, you're right, it's a ka-ching. It definitely was ka-ching, but it was very hokey. It, it, was. it definitely is a novelty record, good word for it. And it's on here, and you should try to just seek it out. I think it was a, was it a single as well? Yeah, I think it was. With the hokey version? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, um, and I think it actually said Tony Sheridan and the Beatles. Yes. Because the Beatles yeah. are on it, even yeah. though he went back to the studio. With someone playing piano by the name of Roy Young. Right, very good. Who was a member he played for the Beatles in Germany. Oh, cool. And according to him, from an interview I read with him, was sort of asked to join the band by Brian Epstein. And he said no. Because uh -oh. he had other gigs. You know, he's a very well-known player in Germany, so... He was like, no, like, the so they are okay. They asked Eddie Murphy to play saxophone. <laughs> no, it's an old well, joke. Well, it's sort it. of like, you know, you think about uh, Ian Stewart in The Stones. You know, he was there, and then they they basically said, well, you don't look dirty enough to well, be Well, like, you're, you're not ugly enough, so, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, right. So just playing the records and, you know. So these tracks are few in number, but they do try to pad them out here. The one thing I do want to bring up, uh, because we've all heard, if you're a Beatle fan, you've heard these tracks. Yeah. One way or another, or go on. Well, at you one know. point, you bought this record. Or someone bought it for you thinking... It was real. It was it was sort of a real record, and that you didn't have it because it was in the 299 bin. Right. Right. Uh, at, at least in America here. My I don't father know about bought overseas. me the, the Polydor. The my father bought me the Polydor. CD. Because, well, you no, know, see, my father bought me the, the original LP, one yeah. in 1970 because yeah. he saw the Beatles on the cover and said, you know, I know you don't have this one. And I said, no, I don't. And 
it was one I never listened to as yeah. a kid. Because I put it on, and I didn't hear the Beatles singing right, right. at first. So, to me, I already had heard everything from 62 to, or 64 to 70, and now this came out. And it, it was okay. I mean, it was yeah. cool because the cover was cool. Pictures inside were cool I hadn't seen before. But it was not one I played often. See, the funny story on this one is this was one that I got as a gift from a couple of people because this was the one where when you're growing up and someone says, you know, what should we get Anthony for Christmas? Oh, I think he's a, he likes the Beatles. <laughs> and then they go in the record store and they go, hi, New York. my nephew likes the Beatles and he, I want a record that he doesn't have. And the guy in the counter yeah. would go, well, here's one I know he doesn't have. So I got three of them. You know, but right. the funny part of it is I'd always say, oh, my God, I got stuck with three of these albums. Then when I got to hang out with Pete Best, the first thing I thought was, oh, cool, I got three of these. <laughs> so I went over and said, Pete, do me a favor. And you're, oh, yeah, sure, it's all, no problem. So, no, but that, that, and actually, I got to just continue. My father, I was going to guess a compact disc player, and he bought that for me thinking that, well, the Beatles aren't on compact disc. Yes, yeah, first, first thing. One. Yeah. And he's the one who bought me Wings Over America to get me started in the Beatles. Cool. Yeah, this Just, one was, thanks, though, Dad. at least in, the, in America, these tracks, because I think the MGM was heavily booted. Oh, yeah. So I'm not sure about the Polydor No, the one. Polydor was really was always in... A uh, real release. Yeah, it was always... But there were so many of these tracks in that, print. that were so bootlegged in the early 70s, late 60s. And Polydor had another Maybe cover variation. Counterfeited, counterfeited, yeah, it's much better. Yeah, yeah. Also, the uh, Polygram version also had an alternate cover years later with like a cartoonish-looking cover. It had the bundle of newspaper, but it had like a balloon Oh, that's right. I have, the, I have that on vinyl. Yeah, yeah, and that, I can't remember if that's on Carousel or on Polydor, but it's, it's on, on Polydor. I have yeah. that when people right. at your house. That's right. when I got... And that's a legitimate release? That's a that totally legitimate a, release. Just a re-release. Yeah, it just was a re-release. Was with, a, they did away with the gatefold. It was a money saver. They yeah, just did but away it wasn't, with the I, I think that was an import. I think That was. That came over from Germany, but that's... Briefly, when the Polydor gatefold got out of print, they had that. Right. And funny so. enough, the these the singles, whether it was the German single or the Decca, even the stock copies have become some of the most collectible Beatle records. Right. Uh, I mean, the Decca... The first Tony Sheridan, the Beat Brothers, is one of the most valuable regularly released records. Which one? The, f the first one that came out in Germany. In Germany, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's one of the most valuable regularly released ones. We're not talking about like, you know, that'll be the day on the, the shellac record. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking real about release. Real releases. It's one of the most valuable, collectible 45s you can find because it was only released in Germany and maybe carried over as an import to England. And, and then the it. U.S. one on Decca. Right. There was a um, promo on a pink label Decca promo. Right. And then there was the release version, and those go for like 11 grand, yeah, 22 well grand, 25 uh, grand. Apparently, the estimate is that there were only 600 of those made. So if you think about it, that's, there, those were heavily counterfeited as well. Those were heavily counterfeited. Because of the value. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And actually, and there they, are ways to tell. And they counterfeited the promo, the pink label variation, quite a bit more than they. So, the stock up. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got an absolutely mint condition looking, oh my God, this is beautiful promo copy Black of Black label Bonnie. deco with the rainbow. Well, I was yeah. going to say if you have the pink label one and it's in mint condition and yeah, absolutely it's gorgeous, probably and it has, a it's pro probably a, a counterfeit. Or we'll tell you it's a counterfeit, and, and we'll take it, and we'll take it, and fund the show. Yeah, we'll fund the <laughs> we show. We won't need anybody's contributions and, and anymore. Mitch's children's college funds and all everything. But so. thank you. You have children? Well, no, Mitch's children's. Oh, my children's. Funds, you I said. said. See, yeah, nice. Oh. I was going to give you if Mitch's we, children. If we get it, we split the hundred grand for. We'll we'd put your kids oh, in school. Oh, yeah, really? Thirty-three grand in the states yeah. now is not going to cut it. It's like one book. <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry. It's like one it's semester one, at Hofstra. One semester at Hofstra University, my alma mater. Thank you very much. No, but a lot of these songs, as we said, are really spread out on this, trying to really not cash in, because they're trying to be completist. Yes. But the one thing I will say is there's something called the medleys, and I don't understand. Tony, I know you were reading up before we went on, because... There are my Bonnie medley version, cry for a shadow medley version two. What these? Two versions. What yeah, these? Two ver- uh, thank you, John. Nice. There's two versions. What uh, these were apparently all about? <laughs> what these are apparently all about is around uh, circa 1967-68. Uh, the labels wanted to put together sort of dance tracks. Believe it or not, they were considered dance remixes. In '68. In '68, and uh, they appeared on albums called like. Uh, a pop on pop or something like that. And what they did was they created these medleys and two different German releases. They're short. I don't really understand how these could be dance versions because dance, dance versions are usually this much longer. Short. But that's what they were. That's why they were done. But they're less than a minute and 30. I mean, it's, exactly. it's a joke. Exactly. But they are different variations. And are they necessary on the box? I guess, again, it's the idea is for Completist. the sake of completion. They are necessary. The only thing I'll say is at the end of one of them, I believe it's my Bonnie, they yeah, actually... I, I, when you told me this, I was like, no, because it's been a while since I listened to this, and yeah. I, I tell them it's a great line. Well, at the end of my Bonnie medley, it fades out, and then you hear Herp Alpert's A Taste of Honey. Right. So you hear... Wait a minute. They might be showing you an example of how it was used. I don't no, know. No, but, but you only hear a few seconds of it, and it's the original version... And yeah. you're wondering to yourself, what does this have to do with anything? The only connection you can think of is that the Beatles did a taste of honey for so the Please, Please Me album, and they probably did it in the Star Club. Actually, well, they what, did. what I would think would be that, with all due respect to Bear Family, it was a sloppy edit. I hate to say the only source, and I haven't listened, but the only source of this stuff is probably mint condition copies of the record. So you may be hearing just them tracking the record. And coming it could out be, of it, it made no sense. I mean, why not? Just why go back? a taste of honey was even on? If, even if it was pop? on it, probably. Even if it was on, why would it just just fade it out at the end point? I, again, I can't see them being. My that only sloppy. problem with with this setup is this one should have been the mono original tracks as close to the the Beatles only and Tony Sheridan only disc, and then disc two should have been everything else. You know, the overdubs, the stereo, everything else, the, the yeah. bits and pieces. Just so you have one disc of what of the everything. eight songs would have been, and then the rest of it. Because it would have fit on the, to the, the other CD very easily. And that's my only qualm about... Yeah, they, but, they went with mono stereo, which I understand why they did that. Because everybody's doing that right. now. But I think they should have went with the eight songs. Because if you think about it, the only real two songs were released were My Bonnie and what was the B-side? Why? No. No, why was your own single? Uh, the Saints. The right. S- yeah, when the Saints come right. up. So those were the really the only two songs released from these sessions. It was Leftovers. The Beatles got two songs because Camper felt bad for him. Right. And he said, okay, record your two songs. And that's it. The- and when, when, as soon as they became famous, that's when everyone jumped on the bandwagon. Though it should be noted also that this didn't happen in Great Britain, all this stuff. It ha- only happened in the United States. Yeah, yeah. in the U.S. Which... Why not in Great Britain? Was EMI that much more control over what was going on? Or, you know, was there an import-export problem or something? The, it's know, probably all of the above, honestly. Know? I mean... Because it all happened in the United States. It didn't really happen in the, in the European 
yeah. Commonwealth. Yeah. And very quickly, the two remix discs were Pop with Pep and Pop Party. Was Pop where those medleys Pep. appeared. Yeah. Pep got around, didn't Pep. she? So, yes, yeah, she, she did. Yeah, she what happened to Pep? Right. I had a little Pep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, there, I think there's not much more to really say about this. It's historically important. If you have the Bear family, I don't know if you need this one. Uh, no, I would say no. But if you don't not. have the Bear family, which is, this is probably the most complete, and, right. and Time Life has it for a very good price. I don't know, yeah. you know, I don't want to mention pricing. It's under $20, but it's, but it's definitely, here in America. For, for what this is, it's very, very, much. very, it's very much. Yes. Is it necessary in your collection if you have every other version, if you're a Beatle collector and you've had the... At goes and the, it's still uh, necessary. It's probably necessary. I think so, just to get it all in one place, and then you could sell everything else. Honestly, you yeah. know, we're just well, I mean, it's collectability. You won't. Yeah, no, if but you have because you know what the at go single, the forty five picture sleeves, even my Bonnie, and especially Y, which was much more limited in, in the release. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. I always <laughs> ask that. But my Bonnie and Y, the red and the green sleeves are very very collectible. Yeah. And even the Atco Ain't yeah. Sweet with the four mop top hairdos on it, if you have an original, because that was Karen Fiddler a lot as well, yeah. that one is also very collectible. Yeah. So you say, oh, you could sell the other stuff, but uh, you know Beatle people are not going to do that. No, when the stereos came out in, in 2009, guess what? I still you have kept old, your old CDs. My old CDs. Well, Though I, I do have one more thing about... I knew you, you did the Columbo thing. I was waiting thing. for the Columbo. The Columbo thing. <laughs> Why would they release as a B-side right. Cry for a Shadow when it should have been the A-side? I mean, the radio stations would have jumped. If it said Beatles, Cry for a Shadow, even though it was the B-side, they easily could have flipped it over. Radio stations might have jumped on that. And that's but, a great question because it's not like radio stations were running away from instrumentals. No. Uh, you, come on. You, by that time, you the would have ventures. Right, you had the Ventures like crazy. You had Telstar. You had, I mean... And, and this is the were, Beatles in 1964. This, right. But, 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 you might have just hit on it. That's back to your legality thing before, too. Well, forget Rob. about the legality thing. It's they even, did release it as the B-side. In so. 1964 yeah. now, the Beatles didn't have instrumentals. The Beatles were booming with rock songs, okay, pop, rock, whatever you want to classify it as. And maybe they just felt that the A-side had to be a vocal, because that's what people knew the Beatles to be famous for now. And if you had well, an instrumental, it may not have worked. That's all. Maybe. maybe. I mean, who knows? I mean, she sweet, sweet went to number 19, so. Right, but a John Lennon vocal. I know. And if you had a Lennon, even though it was significant now as a Lennon-Harrison composition, the only one, back then it wasn't because they had that many more years to do a Lennon-Harrison, and it was an instrumental, so... Mm. You never know. It's a good question. It's definitely something that people will, will ponder. And if you think you have an answer, you know. And, and, and it's interesting. Here. What if Bert Camford had said, you know what? I like these boys, the Beatles. I want to record them and, and screw you, Brian Epstein. You're not getting, getting out of the contract. Well, now we're doing a, you know, there's the follow up show. Twilight Zone episode. You know, we'll <laughs> yeah. have Rod No, Zone but it's come kind in. of interesting that he just gave him up. Well, I didn't he, well, think again, about that until I started to read these letters. It says, it's, I mean, it's there, it's always been there. But yeah, I but never yeah. thought about it as part of the whole Beatles story. But you have to think about it. Was Camford prepared to do that kind of legwork for them? Was Camford prepared? You know, Camford was probably I don't in even his think niche. It, and, I don't think it was even that. I believe that, as I said earlier, Camford was really looking to sign Tony Sheridan. 
That's and true. the Beatles were signed as his backing band. They wanted a sufficient backing band. Okay. It wasn't like they said, we need a band, and, oh, my God, the Beatles are all the next it band. No, Tony yeah. Sheridan was the it guy. He was the Elvis kind of good-looking guy. They, they didn't care what the Beatles looked like. They didn't they care were what the, the Jordanaires were up to. They wanted yeah, right. To they wanted Elvis. Okay, quite a trivia question about Bert Kempfer. Oh, he wrote a song that became the theme to what game show in the early 60s? Game show? Game show. Is it one we know? Well, it came back in the 70s as a different type of game show and was a lot more successful. Tell us, Rob. The match game. Oh, match game. The swinging oh, safari. If you watch the early, if there's only like three episodes ever, if they kept three of the rest of the erased, of the match game, it's a swinging safari. Wow, wow look at you, Rob, pulling it of out of Of course, he wrote, you know, co-wrote Strangers in the Night for Sinatra. So. Frank Sinatra's least favorite song of all time, so we probably shouldn't push that <laughs> idea too much. Oh, come the on, Frank, Sinatra no longer here, Jack. It. No, but Strangers the one that Sinatra morning. went on record dozens of times saying was the biggest piece of crap. Oh, who really saying. cares what Sinatra Sorry, Bird, you? with all due respect. <laughs> I don't. So, we really... But his bird this. could sing, though. His bird could sing. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Jack. All right, so we've talked about this album... Again, not as an analysis and review like we do a normal show, but really uh, these recordings are of historical significance. So we don't want to sit there and rate them because they're really, it's not something that you would say, you know, Revolver, oh, the Beatles' first recordings, you know, you can't compare. Significance in history is really important and everybody should own these if they don't in some version, but this one is the probably least expensive and complete as you're going to get so uh that's about it if we miss something on well, the show I, I just, oh one more thing I, from one Columbo. thing out of the liner notes I, I just wanted to remind yes sir when decca turned down the beatles they basically said to him why don't you just go and record go to find a studio rent a studio and record well according to paperwork in camford's collection that there was supposed to be a studio session with camford on may 28th and 29th 12 songs of 62. Were, of 62. 12 songs will be recorded, and it uh, says that maybe perhaps Epstein planned to release the recordings on his own label. Because he owned them by them, so or to Or more likely trying to sell them. a finished product back to the record company back in England. But this, of course, Yeah, he managed them. At happened. that point in 62, he right. was the manager. Right. So, so don't get the wrong impression. But, like Rob said before, maybe the Beatles would record for Camford, but right. Camford at that point did not manage the Beatles. No. He was just... Providing a studio for them to right. record it. And, and my question is, was he producing? Because you got to remember, that could have been a deal where he said to Epstein, you know what, Brian, you manage the boys, I'll but produce. you know what, I'll produce. So and at that point, then session, there's the speculative then there's, George Martin. Of course. What happens. Right. right. So I'm glad everything yeah. happened the way it did. You're not kidding. But also, Burke Camford would have been more of similar to George Martin than a, a DECA guy. Because Bert sort of had a background in other types of yes. music. Yes. Yeah, so George was yeah. more open, I think, so about yeah. other things. Oh, yeah. Total speculation Martin, episode. Yeah. Bert Camford versus George Martin. Round one. No. The Ding. time machine has been started. Yes. The three Fab Four free for all guys hmm. are right, going back in the, in the past to see what would have happened if the Beatles recorded with Bert Camford. And if of we George ever Martin. ended a show. No. <laughs> so we will end the show <laughs> by saying if we missed something, please let us know. If Tony Sheridan is listening, hey, come on. We'd love to hear you, and we'd love Absolutely. to interview you. So um, if 
anybody knows Tony and they would like to get him on our show, we'll give you credit. We love Tony. Yeah, we do. So please tell us what we missed. Tell us if you like the show. Give us any feedback on our Facebook pages, our individual and group and all that good stuff. So for this episode of Fab for Free For All, I uh, am Mitch Axelrod and I've been your moderator for today. Hope I've done a good job. And joining me, as always, has been Rob Leonard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Tony Treguardo. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And we will see you real soon. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. By the way, I, I get the penis joke, okay? Oh, you know the he penis? gets to put his penis in there. You know, you know what I'm going to say? What? Yeah. You know, well, the, the reason they, you're going to say, well, the reason they right. weren't called the Beatles because right. this, it was too close to slang for penis. <laughs> it was. German. I get to say Beatles. Beatles or, sounded or like. He's calling penis. Beatles sounded like Beatles, yeah, which Beatles. in German is. It's penis. That's yeah. why, yeah. That's why or, John said Beatle Peatles yeah. on the Christmas records. Yeah. Or what he we knows do, he was getting his penis he's in. His or penis. we could pause and, and then do it together. Penis. <laughs> we should do penis. that because penis. it sounded too close to the German <laughs> word for penis. 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 Everybody. Everybody. Normally, now. Penis. Tony. All together now. Uh, penis. <laughs> Everybody get their penis in. Everybody. If you'd like to get your penis By in, the way, that... write to us at. Just, just, just do the line of. Well, you Bob know, was doing it. Yeah, they use the Beat Brothers. They use the Beat Brothers because it's actually the, uh, you know, word for code. It's actually a German word for the male anatomy. Yeah, or, male anatomy. Know, male, you, you know, male organ or whatever. But uh, just because we're clowning. All right, and then it's I'll, funny, sa- I'll start by, and you could even not use what I'm going to say because I remember I said, does anybody want to say why right, right. they were the Beat Brothers? And so, then you'll come in. Okay, so uh, we're back from. Well, back to the male anatomy. Give a silent. Yeah, you could say penis, okay. but, but wait, absolutely. Wait, wait, but just, well, you don't even have to. You could say male anatomy. Yeah, 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 but... Wait a minute, hang on. So what do you want to do? You want to go back from the break? And when we come back from the break, just do that little bit, then take another break for a second, then go into the second Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So should I say we're back? No, do do the re... I am, I am, I am. Shut up on the set. Oh, Oh, my God. Oh, shut up. Is that a new turn? There we go. So does anybody want to tell about the story why they were not known as the Beatles on these first recordings? Well, the term Beatles sounded a little bit close to Peatles, which in German stands for penis. Ooh. Or the male anatomy. <laughs> well, not or. It's, <laughs> or it's at both. the male anatomy. It's both. Some it's... male's anatomy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not asking. Well, there's, there's no Rob's guess. not going there. <laughs> That's even worse than me <laughs> We're going to redo that again. Yeah, you got to redo that again. <laughs> that was worse than before. <laughs> well, you came in very quietly like you were going to give a sure. dissertation. Uh, the penis. Uh, yes, it was Peter's penis. <laughs> I was like, what? You, you started very quietly as opposed to last time when you went, well. Yeah, but this time you were like, well, Mitch. Like it was almost like underground. Well, Mitch. 
I didn't want to say penis, penis before, penis. but I just did again. <laughs> or male anatomy. <laughs> okay. Appendage. Okay. No, that's at the end of the show. <laughs> idiot. Go. I'm calling myself an idiot. No, that was good. No, I'm not. I mean, I am an idiot. Yeah, you are. Are we ready? Are you ready, yeah, Rob, to I'm do ready. your penis I'm bit? Ready. I'm ready. To do your penis, penis bit. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. Bum, bum, it's a short bit. Oh. <laughs> Dude. No, that's not very nice. No. All right, ready? Don't come in so quietly. <laughs> don't enter Boast so quietly. Boast your penis. <laughs> Boast. Be proud of your penis. Don't enter with Be your penis Be proud of so your quietly. penis. All right, yeah, ready? Come on, come on. Shut up. Next to it. Speak. Quiet while he's talking. Are you ready? So does anybody want to tell the story of why they were not known as the Beatles on these first recordings? You mean a story about why the Beatles... Weren't known as the Beatles on the record, but as That's the Beat Brothers? pretty much what I just said. Well, once upon a time, in oh. the land of Germany. In the land of Germany. West Germany, because the East Germans were communists. <laughs> yeah, That's wait, right. we've got to do this Damn again. It. I'm not going to kill our German Beatles audience. The sounded too close to Beatles, and Beatles stands for penis. No, I know. Penis, penis, penis. Okay. Now we have too much penis in the show. <laughs> And you're probably loving it because you just like the penis. And now Rob has said penis at least seven times. Nine times blue. <laughs> blue, blue penis. Blue penis. <laughs> Whoa, nine times blue. That's the monkeys. Oh, and we know. Did they perform that a no. Blue, no, a blue penis. Come on. Now we're in. One more time. We're in Pepperland. The blue penises. Quickly. All right, I'm trying. One more penis. I said my part great the first two times. Well, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you think about uh, Ian Stewart and the Stones. You know, he was there, and then they they basically said, well, you don't look dirty enough to well, be Well, like, you're, you're not ugly enough, so, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, right. So just playing the records and, you know. We need to see you in the bottom of a pool. <laughs> nice. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a little rough, wasn't it? Why is, wow. that, why is that an edit? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see you in the, wow. in the bottom of the pool. Brian George was murdered, you know. <laughs> oh, 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 here we go. That's the conspiracy theories. Oh, wait, I got to snap. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. He says it, I'm like. <laughs> that was like a, that one just kind of laid there. For a while. <laughs> oh, oh, like Brian Jones. Yeah, we saw Brian uh, Botman. Uh, we couldn't get him because we were down. Sorry, I didn't think that was so bad. <laughs>